put your kids in the nursery right there if you want to take your kids over there. Our two nursery workers are eagerly heading that way. Remember, any extra cookies, remember who the pastor is. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn again to the book of Proverbs chapter 2. And uh, ever since we started our church, we have been in a kind of a study to just really broaden our base and just kind of get everybody on the same page as far as our own personal relationship with the Lord. And uh, we've been really dealing with a lot of different aspects, redefining a lot of things that need to be defined, and uh, helping you understand really, you know, what it means to have a personal relationship with the Lord. We talked about how, that, uh, how to build a church out of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, <clears throat> in a couple of weeks, we'll uh, get into the book of Ezra, and I'll, I'll show you some things there about your own personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, but we have really focused here in the last uh, month or so on, on that aspect of, of that personal concept with the Lord. And I told you, you know, so many times we use the words so cheaply. They get thrown around for years and years and years, and certainly we know that the mark of the Laodicean church is a church that lost its definitions a really understanding. They still use the terms, there's just nobody understands what they mean anymore. So we really have been focusing on this personal relationship aspect. We talked about personal promises, talked about what that means, talked about Christ being your personal Savior, and focused on how that all translates into a, per, a personal relationship with the Lord. And last week we came to, uh, pro, or not last week, week before last, we started in Proverbs chapter 2. And, um, you know, I don't know of any passage of Scripture that probably changed my life more than Proverbs chapter 2 once I understood it. And um, when I broke it down and I really looked at it and saw all what it's all, and I mean to tell you, it's just absolutely loaded. Every verse is just, is just loaded. But when I understood it, it, it really changed my whole perspective of, of the Word of God and how the Word of God really fits into my life and, and how it really, what God wants from me. So that's why we chose a couple of weeks ago to start looking at this and, and to put it together. And it says in two one, it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment. He preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment, equity, yea, every good path. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for those that are here. And we pray, Father, that you'll bless us as we've come to your word. Lord, this is a message, Father, that I have so many things I want to say. And Lord, uh, some of them I don't need to say. Some of them I do need to say. Lord, you're going to have to separate out today what, what needs to be said and, and give, give me the words and the wisdom to apply it to our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, we know that you're the only one that can help us receive anything from God. And we pray that you'll open up our understanding now, that you'll ha give us the ability to learn your word that we love so much. And we ask you now all these things in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, <clears throat> Last week when we started this, we talked about, I showed you how that the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs 
all start out the same way, my son. And it's a picture, obviously, historically, of Solomon talking to his own sons. Inspirationally, uh, it's a picture of God speaking to you and I as, as God's son. And, of course, doctrinally, it's a picture of God dealing with the nation of Israel uh, as Israel being God's son in the Old Testament scenario like we talked about Thursday night. And yet, when you look at it and understand it, uh, for you and for me, the impact is, is overwhelming. Last time, we talked about what it meant to receive my word. We talked about what it means when you and I receive the word of God. For when you receive the word of God, the Bible says, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And we talked about how that that impacts our lives, receiving it. What does that mean? I mean, we use the word, but what is the, how does the Bible define it? So we, we, we got that out of the way. Now, today we're going to still be in verse 1, but we're going to talk about the second thing. Because the second thing is, a, is, a, is an impacting aspect that just is, I mean, we could be here all week. And he says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee. Now, what a great concept. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the fact that he says, my commandments, my commandments. He could have said, my word. He could have said, my precepts. In fact, when you come book through the book of Psalms in particular, and the book of Proverbs, you'll find the word of God likened to a lot of different things. Testimonies, precepts, teachings, sayings. Uh, you'll find all of those things. He chose the word commandment. And there's a, there's a, it brings up a great truth. Because the first thing you have to understand about the Word of God after you have committed into your heart, into your mind that you're going to receive it, the next thing you have to do is you have to hide it. And when you hide the Word of God into your heart, when you put the Word of God into your heart, there's a great concept you have to grasp, and that is you have to hide all of the Word of God. That's why he chose the word commandments. You see, you don't just take from the Bible what you really like and leave what you don't like. We don't have the luxury. I mean, let me tell you something. I'm just going to be, I'm honest with you. I'm just going to tell you. I love the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. We forgot to sing our song this morning, but that's my own stupidity. But, but I love the Bible. But I want to tell you something. I don't like everything the Bible says to me. I don't. And if you think I do or a preacher gets up there and says, oh, I just like everything, he's lying to you. I'm human just like you. I have to work just as hard as you do to like all of the Bible. Now, I love all of the Bible, and intellectually, I know the Bible's my book, and I love it all. But you know what? Does your kids love you? Sure they do. But does your kids always do what's right? Are they always happy with you? No, they're not. You see, that's the true test. I mean, I'm just being honest. You know what the true test of your kids is in your family relationship? It isn't when everything's going good and you get along fine. It's when you have to discipline them and, and something isn't going right. I mean, you know, I've met parents, you know, all my life that they thought, well, my kids are great, and they are as long as you don't have to challenge them on anything. As long as they can pretty much do what they want to do, and they don't have to obey your commands. And when push comes to shove, you know, uh, then you have a problem. Well, I mean, the true mark of your handle on your family isn't how everything good when it goes great. It's how it goes when it doesn't go great. And you know what? That's the same characteristic that's in your own personal relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with God isn't good or bad based on how everything goes when you get your own way. Your relationship with God is based on how you respond to the Word of God when it rubs you the wrong way. And I would be a liar to you and a fool to tell you that the Bible doesn't rub me the wrong way. I don't care that I'm a preacher. I'm human. I have to work at 
putting that book in my life in the areas that I don't really want to, just like you have to. We all do. And a man tells you he doesn't, he's not telling you the truth. But the Bible says, when he says, my son, he says, if thou wilt receive my word and hide my commandments, he's talking about the thou shalt not. Proverbs chapter 27, I think it's verse 7, says, the full soul, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Now that, that verse says that the full soul, somebody who's got all the things of the world, they don't like the Word of God. They don't need the Word of God. A lot of God's people in that category, they, they have their soul filled with everything else in life. And they, they loathe the Word of God. Word of God, the honeycomb. They loathe it. They don't have any use for it at all. But the Bible says to the hungry soul, that's somebody who wants to do what's right with God so desperately that they know that they're wicked and they know they're not right and they know they struggle and they know they don't have life figured out and they know they got to deal with problems in life and they know they got heartache and they got temptations and they got everything that we all struggle with. But the bottom line is they love that book so much and over it all they know what the book will do for them even though maybe you don't want to do it at that particular time in your life but you know that it's the best thing for you. You know what? When I disobeyed my parents, it wasn't because I hated my parents. I loved my parents. But the bottom line is, and even though I was doing wrong, I knew, I knew that my parents probably had the best intentions and their way was right. But I wanted to do my thing. And that's the way we are with God. But when you, when your soul gets hungry, when you realize what that book is, when you realize that that book is the greatest book this world has ever seen, when you receive it to the aspect that the Bible's talking about, even the things that are in it that you don't like become sweet because you realize that that's what the Word of God is. It's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for you. When you're sick, I have yet to find medicine that tastes good. I have yet to find anything that when I don't feel good that I'm sick and I go to the doctor, he prescribes to me, that I'm glad I just swallow it and not chew it. I'm telling you, I don't like it. But you know what? I take it. You know why I take it? Because if I want to get well, the bitter things have to go down. And that Bible is based on not just the things that God writes to you that are the good things in your life. The only thing that makes you what God wants you to be is to accept even the things in it that you don't like. All my life, I've dealt with people who didn't like me and didn't like you and didn't like anybody who just stood up to the fact that uh, told them what the Bible said because they, they all, in all of our lives we know people that just want to hear what they want to hear. Yet the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul said, Hey, look, my job is to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. i got to give you the bad with the good. i got to give you the bad with the good. Paul experienced it in the book of Galatians when he's dealing with the, the church in Galatia and they're having all kinds of problems and, he, and they don't, they're upset with him. And he says, Hey, he says, Am I therefore your enemy because I told you the truth? Yeah, you will be. And I've known Christians all my life that didn't want anything to do with what the Word of God commanded them to do, but they were just fine as long as you preached what they wanted to hear. And I'm telling you, receiving the Word of God, receiving that book, verse 1, gives you an absolute. And that absolute is the standard. And when you receive the Word of God, like we talked about the last time we was in this passage, it gives you the right absolute standard for everything in life. But when you hide that absolute into your life, it produces the right attitude. And when you have the right absolute, and you hide that absolute in your heart, then you've got the right attitude. 
And that right attitude produces, yea, Lord, you know what? I am a sinner and I am a miserable wretch, but I am so glad that you saved me. And Lord, you know what? I don't like everything in there. I don't like to be told this. I've never met anybody in my life that like to be told what to do in everything in their life. You know why? Because we have an old sin nature that wants to do its own thing. But part of accepting and receiving the Word of God is taking the good and the bad with it and loving it because of your hungry soul, even the bitter things become sweet. So when he starts this passage out, he says, hide my commandments. Hide my commandments. Turn over to Psalms 119. And if you're paying attention here, we've been dealing with Psalms 119 quite a bit, and we will because it goes so hand-in-hand with the book of Proverbs, especially in this passage here. And, uh, I, you know, all my life, and here again, these are things that are mystified. All my life, I've heard preachers use the concept of God's heart as a, as a pitch line. I've heard them all my life because they think that God's people don't know what the Bible says, they can manipulate them by making the heart of God whatever their pet deal is. When a man wants to raise a lot of money for missions, you know what he'll get up and say? He'll preach a lot of weepy, hard fire messages that the heart, the heart of God is missions. If somebody wants to build a building, then he'll get up and he'll preach that the heart of God is the church. Therefore, you know, the first thing we need to do is go out and buy a building. I've heard it all my life. When a, guy's a, when a guy's a liberal, you know what he'll do? And he doesn't want to go one way or the other, and he doesn't want to make anybody mad, and he tries to compromise, he'll get up and he'll take the old pitch that the, that the love of God is the heart of God, therefore we ought to love everybody. When a guy wants to uh, think that, uh, you know, he wants to build a church by soul winning, and that's the way you build it, and that's not the way you build it, by the way. When he wants to make soul winning the program, that soul winning isn't the program, by the way. But he wants to get that out. He'll throw you the pitch that the souls of men are the heart of God. And I'll tell you what, if the heart of God is all the things that I've heard over the years, then there's a lot of gods out there, or God can't make up his mind. But I'll tell you the truth. I believe in missions. I believe in missions as much as anybody. I believe in God's love. I believe that. I believe that the souls of men are precious. I do. I believe that the, I believe that the church is the most important function in the world today. I believe that. But I don't believe that's the heart of God. You know what the heart of God is? The heart of God is the Word of God. That's the heart of God. It's a lot like this old thing, the will of God. All my life, I've heard the will of God. I've heard, and every time I hear a preacher or a young kid or somebody get up and they start to give a testimony and there's something or other, they get up and they say, well, you know what? I was, I was, I was 20 years old when, when I got the call of God in my life and, and I, for me, you know, God's will for my life was to go and, and be a missionary or God's will for my life was to go drive this bus or God's will for my life was to do this and God's will for my life is to be this or do this or do this and do that. And I, and I, the moment I hear somebody start to talk that way, I know one thing about them. They may be a great person. They may be saved and on their way to heaven. They may be a, a fine guy or a fine woman. But I know one thing about them. They do not understand the biblical definition of God's will. God's will is never something you do. Now, God has a plan for everybody in this room, and your plan may be different. But God's will is the same for everybody in this room. You know what God's will is for you and for me? God's will isn't me to be a pastor, you to be a missionary, you to be this, you to be that. God's will is that you are more like Jesus Christ today than you were yesterday, more like Him tomorrow than you are today, and that is the same for everybody. Because God's will is not something you do, God's will is something you are. 
You're more like Christ. And when you do that, you don't have to worry about what you're doing. Is what God wants you to do or not. You don't have to worry about what you're doing is the right thing. When you focus on God's will in your life is being more like Christ and loving that book and receiving that book, you'll never be doing something wrong. It'll be exactly the right thing that God wants you to do. And that goes along with what I'm saying about the heart of God. When you understand that the heart of God is the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you this. If the heart of God, I'm, I believe, if the heart of God is the Word of God, then the soul of God is Psalms 119. Because Psalm 119 is the greatest chapter in the Bible that takes you down so deep and shows you where God's heart is. And that's where this message is going this morning. I'm, I have to get you to understand this concept of getting God's heart by receiving His Word and hiding His commandments and what it produces. The right attitude. The right attitude will always be based on where your heart is at. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'm telling you, Psalm 119 runs 176 verses. Every one of those verses have some different concept about your relationship with the Word of God. And if, if the book of Psalms is the heart of God, and the Word of God is the heart of God, then I'm telling you, then Psalms 119 is the very soul of God. Because there is no place in the Bible that takes you in a deeper depth and penetration of what God's attitude is toward His book than Psalms 119, verses 1 through 176. And it's like the will of God. The will of God is not something that you do, it's something that you are. The attitude and the heartbeat of God is not something that you do. It's the book that God has given you. It's something that is in your heart that it lines up with God's heart. You're going to see that before we're done. But I have, to, I have to go through this verse with you first because you have to see it. Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Good question. That's a question that probably everybody in this room is concerned about. You want to be clean before God. I don't think there's anybody here this morning that just downright wants to do what's wrong. I think that's probably an honest question for us to ask ourselves this morning. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Okay, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Oh, here comes the kicker right here. With my whole heart. Wow. Have you ever pondered that phrase? Whole heart. With my whole heart. What does that mean? Well, I know my mother used to say, well, that's just a half-hearted attempt. I know I say, well, his heart really wasn't in it. I know my say, I say, well, you know what, he's got a good heart or she's got a good heart. I know we say all those things, all those little cliches, but what does it mean when verse 10, when it says, with my whole heart have I sought thee? Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. All right? Now, the key here is whole heart. And I'm about to take you on one of the greatest studies you will ever take. I'm telling you, we won't get through them all today, and I can't do them all today, but boy, you want to find out where you're at and I'm at, or anybody's at in this room this morning where you're at uh, with God, if you want to cut down through all the shanak and all the veneer and all the paint and get right down where the rubber meets the road, you want to get right down to the baseline, you want to find out, here's the study for you. Because the key is whole heart. No question about that. 
The key that you and I have to have if we're going to be everything that God wants us to be is we're going to have to love God, search for God, be with God, seek God with our whole heart. Now, we have to define that. Because the whole heart concept is one of the greatest studies in all of the Bible. Now, I know that most of us, and it's okay, I, I think this too for a long time, but if you would ask most Christians where, what the most boring books of the Bible are, probably they would tell you 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And I gotta admit, oh, you gotta wade through some stuff in there. Now, 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles give you a, a recording of the kings of Israel and Judah. After Solomon, the kingdom gets split. One set of tribes is called Jerusalem, southern tribes are called Judah. And you're going to find that the rest of your Bible, uh, through the rest of First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, when those kingdoms are divided, they have different kings, and they never really get along. Neither one of them get along with God very well. But oh my goodness, what a study! There, in the most boring books of the Bible, God has given you a record of forty-one kings. We don't have time to go through all forty-one of them. 41 kings. And he gives you the intimate details in their life if you want to study it by going through. And it's a labor. Because some of them get some of them in 1st Kings, some of them get 1st Chronicles. Some, you get same king over here, same king over here because both books are covering the same period just from different aspects and different angles. And so you may, you read uh, this guy over here and then you read over here. If you just read this one, you may not get what else said in this one. You got to get it. So it takes some work. I mean, it's not going to be like just sitting down and open up your daily bread, you know, and having a hunk fall on the table. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's sometimes you have to go a little deeper than that if you want to have the right kind of God relationship with God. Now, wherewith we ask the question. It ought to be the question on everybody's mind. It ought to be the only question you really ask yourself because it's the question whether you're successful in everything else you do or not. That question is, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Now, that's the question. Answer is, with my whole heart have I sought thee, slash, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. But it doesn't do any good to hide the word if you don't understand what whole heart means. Now my Bible tells me that the Old Testament has something that it does for me. No, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know there's a difference. Yes, I know that. I know that the Old Testament's to the nation of Israel and the New Testament's to the church. I understand. I know there's a lot of things that they do that we don't do. I know that. They ain't allowed to have inside bathrooms. Thank God we do. They weren't allowed to have any pictures on the wall. We do. They, weren't, they had to kill a lamb. Thank God I don't have to. I know there's a lot of difference. They have to keep the stringent law. I know I'm under grace and I'm under liberty. I know that's true. I know there's a big difference between the two. Well, boy, I want to tell you something else. That Bible says that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the events in the Old Testament, the events in the Old Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the events in the Old Testament were for my examples and my ensamples. Examples and ensamples. Most people think they're the same. Then the rest of the preachers just don't know the difference. Let me tell you something. There is a difference between an example and an ensample. 
You say, how do you know there's a difference? They're not spelled the same. <laughs> I'm telling you. And when you see your Old Testament, and the New Testament says, these things were written for our examples and our examples and for our admonition, then you just can't brush through 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles anymore. When he says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way on the old... Nobody talks like that in the New Testament. You know why? Because the base foundation of your relationship with God is laid out in the Old Testament. It's only supported with what's written in the New Testament. You'll never find it in there without looking in the old one. Because there's a man in the old one that ain't in the new one. And you know what? He is the only man in the Bible. I told you this Thursday night. Only two men in the Bible, the Bible says, walked with God. More walked? Yes, they did. But why did he pick just two to say that? Because you want to learn how to walk with God? Study those two men. Only two men in the Bible, the Bible says, was God's friend. You mean there was, God only had two friends all down through history? Certainly not. Why did God just choose two men? Because he wants you to study those two men if you want to learn how to have the same kind of relationship. And only one man in the Bible that the Bible says had God's heart. One man. One man. One man. One man. Out of all the characters in the Bible, out of all the 21 types of Christ in the Old Testament, out of all the men, all the way from beginning to end, one man. And I'm telling you, those kings back in 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, are all compared to one man. The man you and I need to be. And therefore, my examples, that's something you do. And for my ensamples, that's something you are. And in those four books, my friend, you have recorded the men who are given charge of the mission of God in the Old Testament. After the kingdom gets divided with Solomon... You have Saul, David, Solomon, then the kingdom's divided, and those kings running down through there, as you come down through the those rest of those books of the Bible, are given charge of God's mission in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, that translates into you and me. Because you and I are given charge of the mission in the New Testament. Oh, it just isn't a preacher. We gotta get that straight. It just isn't a preacher. No, 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 no. It just isn't my responsibility to carry out the mission of God. Hey, it's every born-again child of God's mission to find out what God's mission is and make that your mission. And when you study these kings down here, you know what? Go through this thing. I, and i got to lie to you. i mean, I got to tell you the truth. I found a book one time, and I hate to say this because Jan Hill is going to drive me crazy now the rest of the week. I found a book one time in a little bookstore, Jan, and it was only four and fifty. You know what the name of that book is? The name of that book is The Kings of Israel and Judah. This book was written back in the last part of the 19th, 18th, uh, 19th century. I'm sure it's out of print. I'm sure I probably got one of the last copies. But in that book, this guy went through and chronicalized. He made it so easy. 
He chronicalized and split up the kings of Judah and Israel and, and laid that thing out to such a degree that it made going bang and back and forth. But it wasn't until I read that book that I understood what I had. And when I realized that, I realized, you know what? In the Old Testament, the kings of Israel were given the charge of the mission of God. And the New Testament's me. And then I began to see that those guys back there were faced with the same challenges that you and I are faced with today. The first challenge they had was their attitude toward the Word of God. Oh, go back and look at it. We're going to look at some of them. You know what I'm going to show you? I'm going to show you you and me. When you leave here today, you may not like me anymore. I hope you do. You may not want to come back anymore. I hope you do. But you'll know one thing for sure. You'll now have the ability to find out exactly where you are at without any kind of deviation and any kind of, well, I think so or I hope so. You will know today where to start to go, where to find out exactly where you are at because those men back there are the same issues that we deal with today and the first one was their attitude toward the Word of God. You found some that was great. You found some that was terrible. The first thing that every one of those kings had to deal with was their attitude and relationship with the Word of God and that is the first thing that you and I have to deal with being in charge of the mission of God on this day. You know what the second thing was? God Himself. Oh, you ought to go back and look at the things that they did to God, the things that they said about God, the things that they thought about God. The next thing was the people of God. They were responsible not for only how they dealt with the Word of God, not only their own personal relationship with God, but they were responsible how they treated the people of God. I'll give you a quick one. Go back and look at Saul versus Solomon. Solomon, Saul down there, he makes the people go out and fight. And you know what he says? Don't eat any honey. Don't eat any honey. You go out and you fight those guys and you don't eat any honey. I'm taking a vow before God because I'm a spiritual giant and you're not to eat anything. Go out and fight this battle. Go out and fight. And then the people are faint. They can't fight. They're losing the battle. Jonathan comes up. He sees some honey. He sticks his finger in that honey. Taste that thing, eat some of that honey, honey in the Bible. Oh, the Bible says. The Bible says his eyes were enlightened. See, a picture of a man wanting to keep people out of the Word of God, yet tell them to go out there and fight the battle every day, and then wonder why they fail. Man, when Jonathan got his hand in the honey and ate the honey and his eyes were enlightened, he saw exactly what the problem in Israel was. It was the preacher. Big time Saul. Seven foot tall. And I can't rap, so that's where it's at. <laughs> but that's what you're dealing with. That's exactly what you're dealing with. Saul said, don't eat the honey. Jonathan come in. He didn't hear his dad say that. So he ate the honey, and he strengthened. And the Bible says his eyes are enlightened. Anytime you get the Word of God, your eyes are enlightened. You know what that book will show you? First thing, it will show you where the real problem's at. Then you got Solomon, greatest king outside of David that there ever was. Got more wisdom than Saul. He's got everything that Saul ever wanted. And when he comes out and God says, okay, bud, what do you want to be the king? He gets on his knees and says, oh, God, I'm just like a little child. I don't know nothing. Big difference. Not only are they responsible for the Word of God and God and the people of God, they're also responsible for the mission of God. 
They had a mission in the Old Testament and Israel failed. You know why Israel failed? Because the preachers failed. And when the preachers fail, the people fail. And when the preacher fails and the people fail, the mission fails. Oh, I'm going to show it to you. Oh, this is all, just, this is all, this is, all this is is blowing the froth off the beer before we drink it. Bad illustration. Not only are they responsible for the mission of God, they're up against the same thing you and I are. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil wants to stop the mission of God just like he wants to stop it today. The world wants to work its way into your life and my life and this church just like it does, just like it did back then. Our flesh is the flesh today just like it was back then. We have the same temptations, the same, we face the same things. It is all the same. And I'm telling you, when you got a picture of these 41 guys back here, you're looking at you and me. And if you want to find yourself, if you want to know where you're at, I've got the most amazing study that you will ever find because it all comes down to being verified up against one man and it all comes down with this thing. Searching with God with your whole heart. Think you do? I like to think I do. I'm sure you like to think you do. I'm not passing judgment on you. I'm going to give you a little honey today. Honey. I'm just going to give you a little honey today. And I'm telling you. Now, I've told you, when you, get, when, you re, when you receive the word, you get an absolute standard. When you hide the word, you get an absolute attitude. But that standard is your Bible. And you judge everything by that standard. All my life, all my life, I've heard people say, and, and they use it because people, they, they, they throw words around. And we throw words around. And nobody, because we don't, have, we don't read the Bible anymore, we don't use the Bible anymore, we're not accountable anymore to what we do. So we say anything. We say, you know what, I'll pray for you, and then never think about praying for that person again. You know why? Because as Christians, we're supposed to say, I'll pray for you. That's the, that's the catchy thing, see? That's the Christian thing. I mean, we say, well, brother, I'll pray for you. And you don't think about it anymore all week long. I'm not talking about you. You know what I'm saying. We say, I love you. And you don't love anybody but yourself. We use the words so flippantly and we don't really mean them because we just, to us, words are words because we have no accountability for what we say because it doesn't go back to the book. I, I've heard him say all my life. Well, you know, brother so-and-so up there in Vermont, up there in Maine, up there, wherever, he's done a really good job, you know. And I ask myself, really? Compared to what? Mussolini? Pope John VI? Well, he's a really good man. Compared to who? Well, that's a really good church. Compared to what? Brother, that was a great message. Compared to what? The Declaration of Independence? The Mormons over here with the tower where Christ is going to land when he comes back? With a landing light on the top so he can find it in the fog? Compared to what? You see... Those questions have to come up against an absolute standard. 
And when we look at ourselves, you need to say, well, I'm a good Christian. I ask me. Compared to what? Well, I want to do what's right. Compared to what? Well, I love God with all of my heart. Compared to what? The standard? We'll see. Right? You know what you're going to learn today? And if you don't get anything else out of here, you're going to learn this. Right? Right. It's not always right. Right is not always right. Sounds like a contradiction of terms coming from a preacher, doesn't it? No, not when you understand what you got here in Kings and Chronicles. No, no, not when you define right from the standard instead of right from our standard. I told you this wasn't going to be nice. You know how I'm not yelling and screaming today? I'm trying to be level back. You know why? I don't want you to think I'm mad at you personally. I'm toning down my whole... I mean, I've got passion coming out. I've wanted to preach this message for two weeks. I just couldn't wait. In fact, I said today, I said, you know, last week I put it off because I wanted my people to hear it. And I was mad at God. I said, God, I don't understand this. I said, you know what? I said, if you, if you just want... But God had to want me off to preach and I repented and I'm okay now. But I made up my mind that, hey, it's coming both barrels today and whoever's here gets it and who isn't. And you know what? I couldn't hold another longer. My wife all week long said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I look at her and I say, honey, oh, I got something I want to preach and I ain't got nobody to preach it to. <laughs> Feel better after that. <clears throat> now, I'm telling you, you want to find you and me in the Bible? There's 41 guys. I'm in here, you're in here. Guys like 1 Kings chapter 12, you got a guy by the name of Jehoash. You know what Jehoash means? Fire for Jehovah. At the end of his life, God changes his name to Joash. Joash means fire. You know it's not how you start for God, but it's how you end. Do you know that? Do you know there's a bunch of people in this world that get on fire for God and start for God and wind up out there in the twilight zone someplace? Do you realize it's not how you start, but how you finish? Here's a guy that starts out on fire for God and winds up just fire. Now let's look at him a minute here. We can't do all of these, but we need to see some of these. Bible says about him, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days. Wherein Jehodiah, the priest, instructed him. Bible says he did what was right, but, oh, and when you get into this, the butts are going to kill you. The butts are going to kill you. I'm telling you. He did what was right, but he doesn't take the high places away. He burns incense in those high places. You see? Right 
isn't always right. He did what was right, but he burned incense in the high places. He didn't take the high places away. And look at it. He did what was right in the sight of God all his days wherein. Jehodiah, the priest, instructed him. As soon as the Sunday school preacher left, he went back to the world. In fact, he winds up killing the son of the Sunday school teacher a little bit later on, goes back into deep sin, back into deep apostasy, and then he... <laughs> and then when, he, This guy is like so many of God's people. His, his walk with... He, he's right. He does what is right. Right isn't enough. Stay with me. Right isn't enough. Right, you can do what's right, but not with a whole heart. God doesn't look at what you do, right or wrong. God looks at the motive behind what you do, attitude of heart. He does what's right, but doesn't take the high places away and as soon as Jehodiah is gone, he's right back to the world. He kills Jehodiah's son, and I'm telling you. And then, when the king of Syria comes down, now here's his real problem. Here's his attitude. And every one of these, you'll find out what they do, and then if you want to stay with it, and you work it through, and you get all the places together, you'll find out what the attitude of heart was. And you'll find out what the bottom line was. And this is where it hurts. But smile, the hungry soul, even the bitter things are sweet. If you find yourself in here, praise God. Better to find it here than at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, that's worth taking the preacher out to lunch for this afternoon. That right there. No thanks. Look at this thing. He does what was right as long as Jehovah is there. And then the king of Syria comes down and he's afraid instead of going to God and saying and getting right and saying, God, you are the great deliverer. You can take care of this. What does he do? He takes all of the gold and the silver and the hallowed things that belong to God that are in the house of the God. He UPSs them over to the king of Syria and says, here, take these. Don't hurt me. You know what his bottom line is of his heart? He doesn't really care about the things of God. The things of God mean nothing to him. The things of God mean as much to him as tickets to the football game. And that's why you get some of God's people that the things of God that God... I told you before, part of this whole thing is finding in your life what God loves and what God hates, loving what God loves and hating what God hates. And you know what God's people do? They never do that. So they go through life and they never really find out what is important to God, what is hallowed to God, what is holy to God, and what you can give away and what you can't. There comes a line in your life as a Christian where you say, you know what, I'm not crossing that. I'm not giving up anything for that. I'm not giving up what God has for me for that. I, I like what you said the other day, and I'm going to say it, and you get mad at me, you do. But I, I, that's the, yeah, you. Who, is there anybody sitting around you? It's you. I'm looking at you. You said to me last Sunday when it was very bad, and, and, and please, don't take this, because this is not a reflection on anybody who didn't come last week, because it was terrible last week. You know what? I mean, I, had to, I, I didn't want to come last week. It was bad. But you know what? 
you said me something to me last week that, and it's not because you're better than anybody else, but it showed me where your heart was at. She, you said to me, you said, you know what? We just had to get here today. She says, I went too long without hearing the word of God preached and taught without, without this ministry. And she says, you know what? There's not, nothing going to keep me back from it. Now, I appreciate, now, I don't say that for the rest of you that didn't come last week that I'm trying to, please, understand me. You know me. I, I love you. I, I don't blame you for not coming. Some of you had a tough place to go, and you can't just say, well, you know what? So-and-so made it so everybody else should have known. It was different degrees all over the city. And you may be down in a hole, can't drive out. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about? Did you want to be here? That's what I'm talking about. Did you want to be here? Well, you know what? I watched yesterday, because I watch everything. I watched on the news yesterday. At, at, at 12 noon yesterday, they were already given church closing for today. You know why? Well, those pastors saying, whoo, snow day. I don't have to work tomorrow. For them, it's a job. Well, some of them right now are looking at the almanac saying, in June, it's going to be a red rainstorm. Okay, put that down. Let's get that on the deal. The things of God don't mean anything. Now, I'm not saying there was in times that I won't be here because the weather's bad. I'm not saying there's times that I won't call you on the phone and say, stay home. It's too bad. But it won't be because I say, ha I got something better I want to do. Uh-uh. No. I know where the line is. I know what's fun in life. I know what I like to do in life. But you know what? I know where the line is, and I know where the hallowed things of God are, and I ain't giving them up to the kings of this world. I'm not going to. He did. His attitude was he really didn't understand what God loved and what God hated. So when push comes to shove, when Jehodi is gone, he ran right back to the world because he did what was right. But right always isn't right. Then you got a guy like Abijah. 1 Kings 15, 3. He walked in all the sins of his father which was before him. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. Comparison as the heart of David his father. Now David wasn't his little father, but in the Old Testament they'll take the grandfathers down and they'll run it back to that. You know what that tells me? I met a lot of people like him. They just never change. The Word of God is not going to change their life and they're going to work hard at it. And you find people who their attitude toward the Word of God, their attitude toward the things of God become so cold and so callous that they just simply don't care. Oh, every one of these guys, every one of these guys is incredible. I mean, you got Jehoash, God changed the name. You got Abijah, who just refuses. I mean, it comes out and tell you. He doesn't even do, he doesn't even pretend to do what's right. He, his heart was not perfect. There isn't one good thing said about him. Then you got this one. Oh, I like this one. Amaziah. Did what was right. <laughs> I love it. He did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. Now explain that to me. Let me help you. Right isn't always right. He did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. 
how do you do right and not have it counted for right? Well, this guy, you know what happened to this guy? He did what was right. He did what was right. He did, I can't say it enough. He did what was right, but his heart wasn't perfect. And you know what? Go to Matthew chapter 1. He is left out of the kingly line. See, all the different places you've got to go with this. I mean, if you really want to study this, it took me four years to get it all done right. You're getting a cheap shot at it. You're getting all what I spent four years in an hour for a buck. Better raise the price, Jason. <clears throat> Just kidding. You know, I'm a, I, I, I want to say something about this, but I'm not going to. Because I am so radical on this one that I don't even dare say what I really believe. I really don't. I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say this. Just because a man or a woman says they're doing right, just because a preacher says he's doing right and looks like he's doing right, the bottom line is, here's a man that had a perfect heart, or excuse me, here's a man that did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. And my Bible tells me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that a man strived for the masteries, yet he's not crowned, why? He strived. He, he gave. He tithed. He sacrificed. He was at church. He strived for the masteries. Judgment seat of Christ. Yet he wasn't crowned. Judgment seat of Christ. Why? He didn't strive lawfully. You see, right isn't always right. You better learn it, folks. It isn't based on what you do, what you don't do, how well you do it, how little you do it, how lousy you do it. It's based on your attitude of heart by why you did it. And he better come back to one thing. Oh, I want to I, I, I say this, but I'm not. Maybe another time. I don't think you're ready for that revelation yet. But I, I have watched it for so many years, and I know it is the most unpopular thing that you will ever hear today. I've already test-cased it on a couple other guys, and they went ballistic. No, 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 no. You're not going to coerce me into saying it today. I am in total control. The next one, Ahab, 1 Kings 16. Bible clearly tells you he's the most wicked king that Israel ever had. And it came to pass, oh, and this is what it says about him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. He married Jezebel, who's a Zidonian. Hey, what's a Zidonian? It's a kind of a half-breed Klingon. Jezebel is the, is the perfect picture of, of everything that is wicked and evil in false religions. And, and it, show, it, shows you, it shows you that this guy, this guy had absolutely no heart to do what was right with God anywhere, shape, or form. The Bible means absolutely nothing to him. And it, he married Jezebel, who's a Baal worshiper, who destroyed, and he is the worst king that Israel ever has. And it brings up to me one of the things that we have to focus on as New Testament believers, because I'm responsible for the same things that he was. And it brings up his, not only your attitude toward the Word of God, but your attitude towards sin in your life. 
Oh, here it comes again. Psalm 119, 136. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Or is it just on with it? Then you got Jehu. Second Kings 10. Ah, oh, he destroys Baal from Israel. Da -da 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 -da. Did what was right. But, oh, I get you every time. But he keeps the two golden calves for himself. Double standards. You do this, but I'll do that. You know how parents lose their kids? Double standards. See you go to church, see you be a deacon, see you be this, see you be that, see you live somewhere else at home. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not talking to you guys. I'm just saying that's how they lose them. I don't believe anybody here has lost their kids. I'm just saying that's what had happened. That's what they do. These things are so, I mean, these things are absolutely so unbelievably fit into our lives. But this guy tells his kids one thing, does something else. I've seen preachers tell their people one thing, do something else. I've seen preachers that have given, told their people to give, 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 do it hurts, and then give, 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 give some more. Come up with every day in the world, you know what, the guy's living like a king. I know missionaries on the field that were living down there like, the, like they were in Solomon's time, man. And then they were putting on this poor mouth face about the fact that how they were suffering, going out once a month, taking a little picture of dirty little naked kids in the streets and sent them up so you think they were out there doing them. And they're living on the Taj Mahal, Ponderosa, slash millennial kingdom of Solomon on your money. And the old pastor gets up there and when confronted with that by the common, ordinary, sluggard foot soldier, he says, well, he's a good man. Compared to what, sir? Compared to what? Beelzebub? Adolf Hitler? Saddam Hussein? Compared to what? But birds of a feather flock together. It's in the Bible, by the way. Don't take my word for it. It's in there. It's in there. Two sets of standards. Then you got Jehoram. Bible says, <laughs> here we go again, he did good, followed God, <laughs> but clave unto his sin. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. How can the Bible say he did good, followed God, but you clave to your sin, and then look at his sin that he clave to? You know how the answer is to that? Right. It's not always right. It depends by the standard by which you judge right. Asa. This is my favorite. 1 Kings 15. Good king. Does what's right. Kills all the queers. Well, that's what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. He kills all the sodomites out of the land. Kills them. I can't help it. I mean, I'm sorry. If, if the word queer upsets you, next time I do this thing, I'll put a little note in here and just say, don't say that word, just say this is a queer verse. <laughs> we must ponder it. He follows God, the Bible says. He does what's right. He gets rid of the sodomites. He tears down the images of Baal. He does everything. He, he follows God, but when he gets old, 
He gets a disease in his feet. Picture your walk with God. And the Bible says in 1 Chronicles, got to get them all together. 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 16, 11. Ooh, 16, 11. Mm. That he gets exceedingly great. But he doesn't go to God. He goes instead to the physicians. You see, we live in a day and age where if you've got a spiritual problem and you go to your pastor, his, 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 stand, his answer will be, well, you know what? I think you need to see a Christian psychiatrist. I think you need a Christian psychologist. I think, I've, had, I've heard him say this. I've heard him say, you know what? Your particular problem really isn't covered in the Bible. You need a professional. You need a professional. And they send you to the physicians. Let me tell you something. Right now, before we go any farther, that book has everything in it that you're ever going to get into, get out of, want to get out of, want to get into, and did get into, will get you out of it. It'll give you the answers to it. I had somebody say one time, well, the Bible, the Bible is a great book, Bob. He's a Christian psychologist. Now, you see, you've got to understand. They'll help you till your money runs out. Then you're suddenly healed. They do it because it's their job. I do it because it's my life. I wouldn't take a dime for anybody for ever solving something in their problem. How could you? I, I, I need to ask you this. How could we charge anybody to help them after God gave it to you and me for free? I, I, I tell me. I'm going to keep my eyes closed. Somebody just every, yell out, tell me how. I don't understand. I, I, it does not compute. When I start thinking about it, my, I overload. My chips are burning. And, 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 my, and my tubes are going out. And the smoke's coming out of me. I do not understand how a man can... I mean, and I don't understand this. You go to church. You go to your pastor. Now, in this church... You go, you support, you pray, you love, you tithe, you give him everything, you do everything, you support it, you build him, you help him, and then when you have a problem, he wants to subcontract you out to somebody else because he doesn't either know how or doesn't have time. I don't understand that. I just don't. I, I, I don't, except here's a man, Asa, here's a man, Asa, he's got a disease in his feet. He's got a disease in his feet. And it gets worse the older he gets. And he's come to the place now, there was a time in his life when he went to God, but now he's got more education, he's smarter, times have changed, he's more modern, he's more up to date, and now the Bible doesn't do for him what he once thought it was, so he goes to a physician and he dies. I come out of a church, I'm not going to tell you where it was, in Ohio. One of the last of the great Philadelphian preachers, as far as I was concerned. He came out of J. Frank Norris's crowd, one of J. Frank Norris's boys. He used to tell me stories how they, on, on the, when he went to the World Baptist uh, College down there, the old J. Frank Norris would come along and he'd see you and he'd say, hey, you, do, you spiritual today? The guy said, yes, come on, you're preaching on the radio. Put him on. He used to tell me those stories. Guys like that made up a whole, and I could go into all, I could go into, I could give you a, a 150 names, Wendell Zimmerman. I could give you, a, I give you 150 names of men that came out of that mess that were the last of the Philadelphian preachers. And you know what? Every one of them started out believing the Word of God and believing it was the book, and everybody wound up believing that it wasn't. Every one of them. 
I heard that, said that man, heard that man tell Satan one time, he said, I, I can't believe some of the things that he said. He, he had come to the point from, from, from where he trusted God and he got a disease in his feet and he didn't. His idea was now don't take it to God. He had a full-time staff psychologist on that staff that would take care of your problems when the, that the Bible couldn't handle. And all they do is take a little bit of Freudian psychology, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and add a little bit of Bible verses in it, and they present it to you. And you know what? If, if that's all the best God can do, then we need to dethrone God and just put the psychologist on the throne. This book is still the book that it was back in the book of Acts, back in the Old Testament, it, it, all down through history. It'll fix any problem you got. And Asa got a disease in his feet, but he's educated now. He's been told that the Bible, here's what that guy told me. He said, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible's a great book, Bob. He says, the Bible contains truth. I agree with you, but, that but gets you every time. But, let's face it, Bob, it doesn't contain all truth. In a church in this city that sees people every day, who come in with problems. And you set down a fee. And he's, he's generous. He says, you know what? When I did this in the secular world, I used to get $100 an hour. But you know what? You just pay what you can afford. Ten bucks? Five bucks? How about some pizza coupons out of the paper? You take those? How do you put a price on it? I, I don't know. I don't know. How could I ever, ever in my heart and my mind, ever say to anybody, I'll solve your problem for 40 bucks an hour. Or better yet, I'll solve your problem because you don't have 40 bucks an hour. Just give me what you got. He reminded me of a preacher one time I knew. Guy was always trying to get money. I mean, this guy had figured every angle in the world to get every dime you had. And he came to me one time and he says, Bobby says, he says, I, I, I need, I, I, I'm in a hurt. I says, I need, I need $10,000 by tomorrow. And I was, so I was so tired of this guy, and I said, look, I said, I don't have it. But if I had $10,000, I'd give it to you. You know what he said to me? He said, great, brother. How much do you do have? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I can't ever use it, but I like that. I learned something about the ministry, being in the ministry over 30-some years. And here's the average attitude. Here's the average What can you do for me today? Don't tell me what you did for me yesterday. What can you do for me today? What can you do for me today? Asa, he's like so many of them, man. He's like so many of them. I mean, he's, he's incredible. He's incredible. Two kinds of preachers in the Bible. They're found here. They're found here. Jeremiah 3 verse 15 says, And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Isaiah 65 5. Men which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. Saul, David. I mean, all the way through the Bible. And every one of these men coming down through here show you where you and I are at. Every preacher, every missionary, every Christian that ever walked the face of this planet. Ahaz did what was right like David, but made his children pass through the fire. You know what that fire is? That's the fire of Molech. That's a man. Look at it. It says, 
He did that was right. That's a man who the Bible says did what was right, but he took his little babies, went down to the valley of Hinnon, Gehenna, and his big steel bronze god down there with a hole in his belly that they built a fire in. They had mechanical hands, and he laid those babies in those hands, and they would beat on the drum. The drums are called trophet in your Bible. And they would beat on those drums to drown out the screams of the little babies. And while they would crank those hands, and that babies would be dumped into the Molech's fire in his stomach as a sacrifice to the god Molech. That's what it means in your Bible when it says, causing your children to pass through the fire. Now, I don't understand that. Until I see God's people today and God's men today being in a ministry, but losing their children. I don't understand it. I've heard every excuse in the world in 30 years. I'll just be honest with you. I don't understand it. You know what? My first ministry is my family. I'll be honest with you. If I don't fulfill myself in that one, I have no business being in this one. I don't know what to tell you. I wish I could say something else. I don't know. <clears throat> I've known preachers that their kids were unsaved, that they, they didn't want anything with God, they didn't want anything with... I'm not talking about just having a problem with your kids. We all have a problem with our kids. I'm talking about an attitude in your kids that they are in the world, that you have literally given them the Moloch, the fire of this world, they've been devoured by it. And yet we stand up there. Now, how do I tell... And I've I got to be honest with you. I mean, i got two good kids, two good boys, but you know what? Jury isn't in on us yet because the Bible teaches that the jury doesn't come in until the grandbaby's done. So we got some work to do yet. So I'm not putting myself up there in any way, shape, or form. I'm not. Please understand that. The jury's still out. But I believe it about me just like I believe everybody else. If I lose my family, I have no business being here. If my kids turn out worldly, I have no business being here. I don't, there, is no, don't, don't, there is no excuse. There is none. There is none. There is none. This man did what was right, but his children he took down and put them in the hands of a God and burned them in his belly. And that seems odd to me until I look around Christianity and I see God's people doing the exact same thing. They, they go to church, they're this, they're that, but their kids are lost out in the world and they have no cope and they just sacrifice those kids. And I'll tell you what, here's a guy, and I don't understand it, he did what was right. He did what was right. I know a preacher... He's dead now. Lived down south. And this guy had more of an impact on, 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 on probably young preachers than in the southwest than any other man probably in the last 50 years. I would go down to preach the churches in the south and they'd have this guy's picture hanging over their desk. That's how much of an impact. They loved him. I've heard him preach several times. Everybody thinks he's a great preacher. I thought it was the worst flop disaster I ever, ever heard in my life. You know why? Because when his boy was 15 years old, this pastor brought his boy in and set him down and gave him the facts of life. You know what he said? He said, son, he said, you need to understand, I'm in the ministry. And he says, I'm not going to be at your ball games. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be this. I'm not going to do this. You have to understand that I am in the ministry. And I'm in the ministry, and that is the highest calling there is. And he actually thought that, that was, there wasn't anything else. I heard him preach one time, and he said, preachers, he says, when I'm sick, he says, I go in. He says, you know what I tell my staff members? He says, I tell them, don't call in, crawl in. Whew. He was the most unbelievable, he, had, he was the forging force for all these young preachers that saw him and heard him and thought, wow, and he had a church. He had a church of 10,000 people. He's dead now. You ought to see his church now. Forget the church. You ought to see his boy Right isn't always right.
Hezekiah, last one. Best they had, like David. Too late. Too long. Couldn't turn it around. Overwhelmed. Israel's down the tubes. Attitude with God, attitude with the Word of God, attitude with everything. It destroyed the nation and destroyed the mission. Perfect heart. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? That's what we said. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Every one of these kings, all 41 of them, and everything they do or don't do is compared to one man. That man is David. A man after God's... Oh, you know, I always used to hear guys say that. They used to say, and they all quoted wrong. They used to say, David was a king and a man after God's own heart. Everybody go, amen. That's not what it says. It says that God made him a king. But it says he was a man after God's own heart, before he was a king. You know why we like to throw that all together? Because we like to think that a spiritual position makes us godly. We like to think of a place of leadership makes us godly. We need to look at me and look at you and think, well, he's a pastor, he's godly. Hey, let me tell you something. There isn't any position in any church anywhere on the face of the planet that makes you godly. The only thing that makes you godly is getting God's heart. And you have to get it with a perfect heart. That's what David did. It says, 1 Kings 15, 5, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And here comes the kicker. Turn not aside from anything he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. In all his life and all his thing, God only had one thing against him. You know why? Because David sought God with his whole heart. And it was David that said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And he is the king after God's own heart. And he is the one that every man is accountable to in the kings and contrasted to. Because I'm telling you, getting God's heart Getting the Word of God starts with getting the right absolute and then getting the right attitude and realizing if you want to have a perfect heart with God, isn't isn't about the mistakes you make in life. It really isn't. We're all going to make them. Don't let any preacher ever stand up there and beat you over the head because some of the dumb things we all do because he does them too. I'm telling you. You know what? God didn't... Did you see what he said about David? I'm going to tell you what. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. David lost faith, lied, and scrabbled at the gate. David lost, afraid from Saul and ran. He's down there in the cave of Adullam because he's afraid to death and he's without God. He goes out there and he fights, he fights Goliath with that little slingshot. Then a little bit later on, five, six, seven years later, he's down there hiding. And they say, they're coming after you, David, they're coming after you. And he says, he says, well, I need a weapon, I need a weapon. And somebody says, well, the only weapon we have is a Goliath sword. And he says, give me that one, I'll take that. Well, you need a sword now, David? You didn't need one back there. But don't you know God does things like that? Don't you know when he got that sword and he says, Ah, oh, I got the sword now. I can fight him. He's walking out there and about the time the Holy Spirit of God says, Hey, David. David. Hey, David. Hey, Dave. Hey. Got the sword? Yeah, I got the sword. You're going to fight him? Yeah, I can, I, can, I can make it now. Hey, you didn't need one when you fought Goliath. You just needed me. See how it changes? But in spite of that, God never brought it up. You know why? Because David had in his heart that he loved that book more than anything else in the whole wide world. And those kings in Israel, you find some that does right 
They don't do right. They have a perfect heart, half-hearted. You've got every scenario in the world that you're going to find you and I in. Some of them won't leave their sin. Other ones leave their sin, do what's right, but they cleave to this, double standards, that whole thing. They go after the worldly wisdom, the whole nine yards. And the bottom line is they're all compared to the one man who never went one way or the other. He just stayed with God, and he loved that word with all of his heart, with all of his mind and his soul. And at the end of his life, it doesn't matter how you start. It only matters how you end. God said, he did what was right all the days of his life, except in one matter. And you know what? He's a man after mine own, the only man in the Bible that the Bible makes that statement. You want to find out how to do it? Go through, go through Saul, go through Solomon, go through Abijah, go through Hezekiah, go through Joram, go through Joash, go through Joram, go in Amasa, go through Asa, go through every one of them, and then come down to the final conclusion that none of them had a perfect heart because a perfect heart means an attitude and realize that right just doesn't make it right. It's more than just doing right. It's an attitude about doing right. It's an attitude about a book that makes you do what's right. It's understanding what you're doing that is right. That's the key. And with that, you have got the greatest study that I could ever give you on finding yourself in the Word of God and getting a perfect heart. Getting a perfect heart before God. I don't know what else to tell you. Those kings are for your examples and your ensamples and our admonition. When you start going through them, you will see yourself someplace. That's between you and God. It ain't my job to look at you. That's your job to find out where you're at with God, and he'll show you. And when you leave here today, you have everything you need. Now, whether you do it or not, you're in one of those 41. See that thing? That's where you're at. That's what I love about the book. It just takes care of all the issues. And you now have, without a doubt, the greatest study in the Bible to show you where you're at in your own position with the Lord with your attitude of heart because we think we're doing what's right. When God says, I really don't care about right, where's your heart? Well, God's will is for me to be a missionary. God's will, you'd be more like me. And when you get more like me, you get my heart. And when you get my heart, you get the word of God. And when you get the word of God, you don't turn from the left to the right, you stay right in the middle. And you'll do what's right all the days of your life, even when you screw up sometimes. Because it isn't about, God looks beyond what we do, folks. You've got to see it. God looks at your attitude of heart. And when your attitude is in that book, it, whatever you do, you will not go far from God. Let's pray.